welcome to the podcast today, Jared Frost. Jared is the owner and founder of Blue Pebble Group, a real estate sales team focused on helping families find peace and fulfillment in their lives by providing the highest quality real estate transaction experience in the market. It is Jared's mission to bring his past career experience to benefit Blue Pebble's clients on the most important financial decision of their, of their lives, buying or selling a home. It's a big thing. It is a big thing. It's a big thing. In his free time, Jared can be found on the golf course, shooting sporting clays, or gracefully tumbling down Colorado's beautiful ski areas. Gracefully tumbling. Graceful tumbling. Yeah. Graceful tumbling. When you're born in Chicago, that's what you do. Oh, <laughs> I call it being um, paying to be cold and miserable. Gotcha. <laughs> That works too. So I don't ski. Yeah, we know all about that in Chicago. So yeah, we don't do that. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for Appreciate coming. Uh, first question is always the same. What was your first job? My first job? First ever. Thank uh, you. Are we going back you. to babysitting or is it? Sure. Did you babysit? Uh, I did babysit. That's so awesome. I actually had to, I think when I was like 12 or 13, I had to do a, uh, whatchamacallit, like the uh, CPR certification yeah. mm -hmm. for like babysitting course. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I did that too. So I was babysitting certified, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess my real like real job, I taught um, I taught golf uh, to juniors. So I taught oh, cool. I taught kids how to golf for Little about, kids. yeah three or four years. <laughs> that's awesome. And uh, it actually is great now because um, our coaches made us learn. So I, I'm a lefty, mm -hmm. and they made us learn how to play from the other side of the ball, so we could kind of mimic what it was like to teach a kid who's never picked up a golf mm -hmm. club before. Uh, so it's pretty cool. So now I can play lefty or righty. So now you golf ambi. Um, I'm not very good ambi, but I, I can at least hit hit a ball righty and you know, play a few holes. So, yeah. That's awesome. My son is actually left-handed. Oh, awesome. Um, and he's like the odd guy, odd man out around here. Absolutely. And so we always are like trying to hand him stuff to the front, like to his right hand, because we're all right-handed. Right. And he's just like, don't you guys know? Like, it's been 11 years. Like, you would like you would think you'd know that. Well, and this is why we have lower life expectancies, right? Because <laughs> all the righties assume we're righty. Because we're all stressing you out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so your college background is in aerospace engineering and yeah. financial engineering. Correct. Um, we've got a lot of personality for being an engineer, let me just say. Thanks, I think. <laughs> How did you pick those majors, and what was your career, intended career path? Yeah. Uh, so when I was 13, I my hobby was launching model rockets mm -hmm. and so my grandfather I and i were, doing that. were very close uh grew up outside chicago mm -hmm. actually so you know you had cornfields and he lived in wisconsin places so. to do that absolutely so uh the first couple landed on top of buildings that we weren't planning on so you know high schools farms you know barns stuff like that uh and so did the science for a couple of years and got a little bit into the math as much as kind of a 14 year old can That's and great. uh just decided that I wanted to be a defense contractor and design missiles for the government. So from 13 to 18, I only applied to five schools. I only applied to top aerospace schools and went to the best one that I got into. So it's kind of what happened. <laughs> so you wanted to do defense contracts? Yeah, I actually worked for a defense contractor for a couple summers okay. uh, before I got out of engineering. So. Building missiles or? Uh, flight simulators for UAVs. So, you know, the little drones that kind of fly around. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were doing... Uh, I was coding flight simulators for a bigger kind of robotics training simulation for U.S. Special Forces. So that was pretty That's cool. Crazy. It was insane stuff. My brother's a rocket engineer. I think I told you that. Yeah. Um, my stuff ended up in Pokemon Go. There you go. Just basically uh, all that engineering and, That's and education. That's probably better. <laughs> I don't even know what a Pikachu looks like, but allegedly when you show Pokemon Go, like that's my technology. Or that's, really that's kind of what cool. we were doing was like Pokemon Go, but for military type stuff. <laughs> that's actually really cool. We love Pokemon Go around here. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of our favorites. Because um, we got to catch those Pikachus. 
You don't even know what one looks like. I hear they're worth a lot of points. Yeah, apparently. So many. Yeah, all the points. Um, so what was your actual career path? Uh, so actually graduated with an aerospace engineering degree. So I did, I convinced my technical advisor to count, uh, econ 400 <laughs> as a technical elective in aerospace. Good um, job. I don't even know how I did that, but he was this old kind of sales background there. Uh, something like that. It was probably <laughs> my first sales job, right? was convincing him to count econ class for engineering. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, graduated early from Michigan, didn't want to leave my friends, didn't want to give up Ohio state tickets, uh, mm -hmm. for another year. And so, um, ended up applying and getting into the financial engineering program in Michigan. This was 2000 and 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. This is back uh, pre-financial crisis when Wall Street couldn't hire engineers fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, ended up getting an, an internship at Credit Suisse, which is a major kind of investment bank. Um, they're kind of one of the top two investment banks out of Switzerland. And then um, did an internship, got an offer, traded uh, end up trading derivatives, volatility arbitrage, structured products. Um, <laughs> Nobody understands any of those words you just said. <laughs> yeah, so uh, fair point. Um, traded stock options during there the financial crisis. Stock yeah. There we go. Stock <laughs> options during the financial crisis, uh, and yeah, front row seat to all the clam like all the calamity that went down from uh, 2007 to 2014. Uh, yeah, even through. So I was there for seven years. So it's pretty crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. How did you end up in residential real estate? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, you know, not a lot of former Wall Street private equity guys. Uh, so ended up meeting a girl when I was living in New York. Uh, she was a Coloradan. It's always a girl. Always a girl. Uh, so like everyone who transplants from the east or west coast of Colorado, mm -hmm. there was a, a girl involved. There's or that a guy. Of you. Yeah. Yep. yep. So uh, chased a girl out to Colorado. Her family uh, was out here and just didn't want to raise a family in New York without mm -hmm. family out there. And so... Um, it, you know, as a trader, you really don't have a lot of skills. I mean, you're in accounting, so like you kind of understand that traders don't really do anything besides yell and price stuff. Uh, you actually do the real work. Uh, we just kind of read your financial statements and try to figure out where like, the price what does is that going. Mean? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so uh, a private equity firm in town was like, "Hey, we'll take a shot on a New York guy," and mm -hmm. um, you know, gave me an incredible opportunity to come in and learn not only private equity, also real estate development, um, and that's really when. I decided to go off on my own that between the Wall Street background, the private equity background, the real estate development background, mm -hmm. um, you know, and kind of what my skill set was at the time mm -hmm. uh, and where I think our competitive advantage was, it just made a lot of sense to go into residential. So how does um, how do you apply your previous career lives? I have those in quotes on my notes. Um, <laughs> how do you translate those to residential real estate? Yeah. So I think no matter the level of business that you're in, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's small, big, bulge, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. mega cap, right? I think planning is mm -hmm. always central to executing mm -hmm. on whether it's a business plan or a transaction or a strategy. You know, the planning is always extremely important. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, at least in networking with other small business owners, it's always lack of planning. Like small business owners tend to be very much like, Oh, this sounds like a great idea. Let's just go, right? right? Let's let's, let's spend thing. a bunch of money and like just see if it works, right? right. Um, and so I think after seeing what it takes to raise capital, after seeing what it takes to execute on a plan, mm -hmm. um, having not only the plan for Blue Pebble, so I use private equity models for my kind of financial modeling That's of awesome. my little residential sales group, um, and then also when we're consulting with our clients, like taking the expertise of, hey, look. I know you want to get your house on the market right away. I know you want to get into a house right away. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to help you do that. Mm -hmm. While we do all this, mm -hmm. it's really important that we make sure we have all of your ducks in a row mm -hmm. before we get down this path. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we might waste 
a lot of time, right? right? And so it's taking that kind of consulting background as the trader who sees the mm -hmm. market, sees everything, and you know is able to kind of advise their clients on what to trade or what not to trade. Mm -hmm. The private equity guy who, at the end of the day, you're a consultant, like. Should you be investing in this fund or that fund or these sponsors or that sponsors? Plus and so, your process background. Too. Plus my process, yeah. And, and so you get the processes plus the. Yeah, and the engineering kind of like stack of pro. Yeah, just crank through. Yeah, yeah. So Got it. I, I think we kind of there's a lot of ways that those lives touch and, and feel without people kind of expressly knowing that's where it came from. That's cool. Um, so there are so many um, places and ways to create a real estate career. There's <laughs> yeah. like a thousand options, <laughs> a thousand. right? You yeah, could infinite. be your lone wolf. You could be in, you know, a huge market center. You know, that was an option. Totally. Um, how did you settle, settle on creating a team? Yeah. So the team, Oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ruin, I'm going to tell everyone my new grand plan, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't there's have a grand to. plan. So, uh, you know, Blue Pebble. Um, he has a plan, guys. There's a plan, Shogger. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Blue Pebble is part of the plan, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the team for me, it was never anything but creating a team. Yeah. So I love helping people. I love answering questions. I love analyzing mm -hmm. a market, mm -hmm. um, negotiating with real estate agents who may or may not know what they're doing. Not my favorite thing to do. Right. right? <laughs> um, you know, consulting people on which color, carpet, or paint. Uh, not better my, people for that. Better people for that right. right. So where my skill set is, like as a team leader, process, consulting, advising, that's kind of where my highest and best use okay. naturally is. I love that. Um, and then also, you know, I want to be a principal again one day and I want to create a great investment company. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to raise money to do investments mm -hmm. unless you find your own deals. If you're dependent on brokers bringing you deals, mm -hmm. then how are you gonna raise money over the next guy that saw the exact same deal? Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, I can create mm -hmm. a brokerage team that can originate a bunch of deals. Mm -hmm. Now I can see every single deal that comes across my desk and now I have a capital pool behind me. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great business to do as if we can do that. So we were talking before we started rolling, um, you were an assistant team leader. Correct. In, um, in a brokerage. <laughs> yes. And we talked about like how, you know, being being a real estate agent is actually a better way to create money faster. In my opinion. In your opinion. Yeah. So you're the only person that's ever said that to me. <laughs> um, and I work with, you know, I work, I work within a brokerage um, here locally. I help them. Yeah. Um, so can you kind of explain to me, you know, how you see and like kind of what your analysis is of like where, you know, where the best way is for real estate people to make money in the fastest way? Because I think most people get into real estate and don't, really know how they're going to execute. Yeah. You know, they don't realize they're creating a business. Like that happens in a lot of, uh, happens in a lot of careers, especially Absolutely. ones where you like do the thing for a couple months and then all of a sudden, Hey, you've got a whole nother career. Like you just don't realize you're creating a business. Mm -hmm. So for those people kind of break it down for me, like what is what you see as the fastest way to make money? Yeah. Um, and the most sustainable way to make money as a real estate agent. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I don't think fast and sustainable in real estate are ever part of the same sentence right, right? so um you know and as you mentioned there are a lot of ways to make money in real estate mm -hmm. and one of the big hot topics now especially with millennials getting older is kind of passive income mm -hmm. you know right millennials are how do i create passive income it's you know passive income dream life hacking mm -hmm. all that stuff and so the gig economy the gig, like yeah how, we... how do i work as little as possible mm -hmm. so i can maximize my experiences knowing that i make the money i need for those experiences i'm in let's do it exactly right <laughs> so i think a lot of brokerages are focusing on these kind of passive income type strategies mm -hmm. and 
most people who are getting into real estate or most young business owners don't have the life experience to really know like the the gestation time of you know securing one of those profit share leads mm -hmm. right or uh, revenue share leads whatever it might be it depends on the brokerage that you're in yes. right so um you know there are a number of different brokerages that offer these types of things when you're talking revenue share or profit share or, you know same kind of thing mm -hmm. uh and so over my course of time as the atl for a local uh or vice president for that brokerage just looking at the amount of time I had to spend to try and make passive income just off of that mm -hmm. didn't make a lot of sense. And so um, what I found was that if I took the time that I was lead generating for agents to come join my team and instead was just more purposeful about you know the networking that you have on your board over there mm -hmm. or the cold calling or mm -hmm. the sphere calling or just being a better person in the community, you can generate a much better pipeline which is effectively residual income and sales once mm -hmm. you actually have those relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of what we've been doing for the last couple of years. I love it. So what have been your greatest obstacles in creating your own team? Oh, uh, I would say not knowing anyone. Yeah. Uh, so Because uh, you're not a native. Because I'm not native. Hard, and yeah. you're working in a firm for a while, so... Yeah, and I was traveling to Mexico, mm -hmm. and I got divorced right when I became a real estate agent. So, uh, note to anyone who's thinking about getting a real estate license and becoming a broker: like, do not do it when you don't have money. <laughs> like, you need money to get started. Yeah, so, everything needs money to get started. Every business does. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think for me, not being a native, fresh off of a divorce, didn't have any deals, didn't have any money, mm -hmm. didn't know anyone, like. My first six months was really, uh, you know, kind of cold calling four hours a day, having four Ramen. or five coffee appointments. Yeah. Uh, actually, protein shakes. Here so, we go. We're living on protein shakes. Yeah. I lost, uh, you know, I lost about 45 pounds in, no, seriously, in the six months from the time that I got separated until mm -hmm. the time that I kind of closed my first deal, mm -hmm. right? Um, the I lost about 45 pounds, of which about the last 20 was simply just stress around, you know, kind of my business mm -hmm. and not having any money and not wanting to spend it. Yeah, and we so, don't recommend that. Diet no, don't, no, no, that's, not don't want to go back there ever again. <laughs> um, and I, I think that was the biggest problem. And really once I met people and once, my mm -hmm. network started building, you know, we met, you know, mm -hmm. through that kind of process, right? Um, that it, it's just gotten a lot easier. That's great. So what have been some of the greatest successes in building your, in building your team? Um, that's a good, that's a really good question. I was trying to reflect, I was trying to guess what you were going to ask me. And that, that was, that was one that was close, but not quite the same <laughs> thing. Um, I think my biggest success to date in terms of this current endeavor is helping my current so the core of my team has been together for pretty much a year. So, you know, That's awesome. my business has been, my business has been in its current state for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. um, I brought on my first agent a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. And so I carried him. Not only did I support myself through my second year in the business, I supported him through his first. Because you're going to have to, right? Yeah, you have to be giving him leads, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think getting Matt through his first year in the business and now seeing him, you know, he's brought us four or five deals in the last two weeks, right? Wow, so nice he's job, he's killing it. And he's going to make more money this year than he's ever made in his life, right? And so to be able to say that I did that for somebody in their second year on their mm -hmm. own, I right? You're because just like of my, lit up by that. Yeah, because of my infrastructure and our process, like mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's cool. Yes, isn't it? It's cool to watch other people thrive. If, if I could make, if I could give everyone on my team the best living, the best life, they're just a great, a great living, a great mm -hmm. You know, environment for them to be able to fund their lifestyle mm -hmm. off of and I can just make a living doing it like that's 
what else do you need? Like, that's pretty much it. I love that. Um, I want to ask you, um, I have other questions, but I want to ask you about what you're seeing in the market in Colorado right now. Cause actually, um, I have a couple websites that send me houses just cause I look at <laughs> just houses. a couple, not because I'm looking for houses, but I'm seeing price drops, which is yeah. not something that we've been seeing in the market in the last five or six years here in Colorado. So it's just, not, will you talk about that? Absolutely. And, uh, we actually track our own data shocker cause I'm a nerd. So, yeah, no, I love uh, it. <laughs> and you'll actually start getting our emails now. Uh, Yay! So you'll, I think uh, I already got one. <laughs> maybe you got one. Uh, you'll get the next one next That's week. That's really fine. I like, I love data. Yeah, no, we're very data, data driven. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Colorado is still hot, still in the seller's market. Uh, mm-hmm. you still don't have that much inventory on right, the market. Still inventory so, for- very much. And so it's interesting because a lot of people that talk about Denver market statistics, they go very high level without mm-hmm. drilling down into what's mm-hmm. actually happening. So how do you get more price decreases, which is what you're noticing, mm-hmm. at the same time that you have zero inventory still on the market? Yeah, right? that's, what, that's why I was curious. Uh, like, that doesn't make any sense. Right? And, you know, because I ask questions and because I'm data driven, I'm like, but we don't have inventory. Why are we dropping presses? What's uh, happening? Uh, That's what's why that? you're here and I'm asking you questions about Thank it. Thank you so much. This, <laughs> this is actually the best part of the market. What's going on? So this, this yeah. is where I get super nerdy. So um, what's actually happened is, you know, days on market, if you're talking about detached homes. So I, I, I take the market and separate it into two segments. So we have the detached market, which is, you know, the normal Single family. family with a yard and, you know, your picket fence and all that stuff. Um, and then you have attached, which is your condo product, your townhomes, your row homes, and you know, a lot of the higher density stuff that's being built. Um, these two markets have diverged. So supply levels between the two have diverged over time um, for a number of systematic reasons, but we're gonna kind of eliminate the attached product for, for the conversation for now because- because oh, I wanted to talk about that. But- We'll get back. It's a slower market. Mm-hmm. And so the, what's going on over there is just not as interesting. It's just more of a supply market where, where people are seeing the price decreases and kind of what you're noticing is on the detached side. Yeah, they're all detached. Yeah. Um, and what's happened, in my opinion, is days on market hasn't really shifted, except mm-hmm. we're not seeing multiple offers as much anymore. So homes are still selling in that first weekend or first week. Mm-hmm. So days on market on average is right around six or seven days, right? But there's a big difference between six or seven days on market when you sell on that first weekend Mm -hmm. or six or seven days on market when you sell on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. right? Because the buyer then gets to see the house on Friday or Saturday. Think about it. They might get to go see some other stuff. They can have a day or two to make a decision. They can see that your house didn't sell over the weekend, so they're not in a multiple offer situation. They can take their time, casually kind of like do whatever they want to do, and then submit the offer. So you end up getting the house under contract. So the actual high-level data doesn't change, mm-hmm. but the de- underlying demand, right, is just not there because prices have gone up and not as many people can afford them as they were able to afford over the last five years. Crazy. So what's happening, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is before, over the last five years, where it was like multiple offers, like crazy, 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 like get it sold. We did six months of, or almost, yeah, it was six months of looking for houses. And oh, this yeah. was six years ago. So we bought our house six years ago. Right. Um, and we did multiple offers. Like we actually were the ninth contract on this house because all of them fell through before <laughs> and that's the only reason we got this house it's crazy because we were the ninth contract and we actually closed yeah i remember the first two two buyers i worked with when i was a lone wolf as you mentioned mm-hmm. was I, I submitted probably 40 offers combined yeah. we right? did a ton of offers we were writing letters yeah i was like cute pictures of my babies and puppies like it's not allowed anymore uh, they're, <laughs> oh, they're really cracking down on that <laughs> well uh, it was allowed when i was doing it yeah and, and if it helped you get the house great and so mm-hmm. you know what i think is happening is you know, the high level numbers aren't changing because there's still a lot of demand um though the underlying demand is not as ferocious and as a result when you're looking at how you comp and price property stuff matters now mm-hmm. that didn't matter a year ago mm-hmm. i.e are you on the right side of the street 
Are you on a corner lot? Is there traffic? Mm -hmm. uh, when we are you south facing or north facing? Yes. Are you in this subdivision or are you in that subdivision? Because now when we're pricing comps, like we're crossing, we didn't cross subdivisions before because there was all the same. Everything just sold immediately. So let's just figure out what's in the area. Yeah, what's, what's closest. Exactly. So now that I think in certain areas, prices got artificially inflated because there was just this lack of supply mm -hmm. and now when people actually have an extra day to just sit back and think about what's on the market that's just blows my mind I, in my opinion that's difference. what's happening and we're seeing it with our buyers with our sellers like um you're getting the economics and the high level stats it's just the underlying motivation is just not as it's not there so you're not seeing a huge change in the market you're just seeing it in a, a weird way in how it's transacting right now we were talking before we started rolling about how people aren't buying right now, mm. how there's been kind of this lull in the economy for everything that's <laughs> not ne like necessity, right. right? So in the want economy, basically, is what mm -hmm. I like to call it. So cool. I've watched because I'm a birth doula um, and I've watched, you know, all the agencies be like, the calls literally stopped in April. Like they're like, we're generating 20 to 30 calls a month. And they literally, it's just been crickets. Right. Um, so we're watching this lull in the want economy right now mm -hmm. with the tariffs and that we have lots of things we can talk about there. Yep. So that just really is interesting to me that it's translating to the housing market. Mm -hmm. Plus we're looking at prices that are out of a lot of people's range here in the Denver area. Yep. I mean, we're looking at 2,500 square foot houses going for 550, 650. At least. At least. <laughs> yeah. My brother and um, sister-in-law just bought over in Westminster hmm. and I was, or over in Wheat Ridge. And I was just like, you're buying it for what? How much? <laughs> <laughs> but that translates to how much my house is worth. Totally. I mean, we bought six years ago at 330. I'm sure you're on money on that right now. We're about 50 probably. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Let we're me know if you want me to check we're it. We're just going to sit on it. <laughs> we're just going to sit on it. Just for sit a while. on a lot of equity. Absolutely. Um, so that's very interesting. Thank you for explaining that. So, also, could you talk about the attached home yeah. stuff? Because that's really interesting to me because we, we were watching a lot of condos go up. We're watching a lot of townhomes, mm -hmm. those uh, up and downy mm -hmm. kind of townhomes. Slot so homes, those, shotgun homes. Yeah, I love those, though. They're so cute. They call them like the little cities. Yeah, you know? like the little boxes. They yeah, they're in these out. little boxes and they're straight up and down. And yep. they're, they're actually really cute. And they're putting them in places with like shopping and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So what is that market doing? Yeah, Because totally. that's interesting to me. So I think it's, uh, you touched on two things there. Uh, is it, just going back really quick to your kind of comment about the economy. Mm -hmm. I actually think that's in a weird way helping Denver right now. Um, we needed a slowdown. We needed, a, we needed rates low. Mm -hmm. So whether or not we needed a slowdown, you and I could argue about that mm -hmm. literally for the next four hours. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, though, if you look at where pricing, average pricing is for Denver homes and what average incomes are for Denver, there's a mismatch. Huge and mismatch. when rates last fall were 5%, our market fell off a cliff because people couldn't afford to buy at that average price when rates were 5%. Now with the slowdown, you know, tariffs, Fed, whatever, um, you know, and conventional way. rates back mm -hmm. below 4%, some of these homes that people couldn't afford last fall at this pricing, now they're able to afford. And so we're seeing people get back into the market because now rates are low enough where they can afford the homes that they've been looking mm -hmm. at. Whereas if, if this stuff wasn't happening mm -hmm. and the economy was ripping and all of a sudden rates are, you know, let's say 10 years at four or five and now mortgage rates are six or seven, mm -hmm. like those people would not be able to afford these homes. Right. That's so so it's kind of weird where like the negative stuff actually ends up helping us a little bit. Um, the attached side, you know, that's been what's been built over the last five years. Uh, as construction costs in Denver have gone up um, significantly, in, significantly uh, 
you know, you need, and land prices haven't really have gone up as well. You need to put more units on the same size piece of land to make, in, to make the numbers work, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're just seeing a much bigger glut of supply in those types of projects because any piece of land right now that's being sold is probably getting developed into higher density, right? Um, and so the other issue you have with these is that some of these builders are not experienced builders. They, they're you know, late cycle participants. And so the construction quality might not be there. Um, and so- and People uh, don't want to buy that. And don't want to buy that. And like- Especially you know, at the prices. Totally. And you know, especially price, new construction. Right. I mean, you have a- most new construction prices 15% over the resale price. So you're not you're paying a huge premium per foot to buy that. And if it's not worth it, you're not going to buy it, right? So um, we just think there's a lot of that product being built in areas where we'll see if there's a lot of absorption. It tends to be very pocketed. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, because that market is just a little bit different, we just tend to look at it a little bit separately. Well, it makes sense, though. Yeah, just different supply-demand dynamics yeah, versus you, detached. Yeah, because you have different buyers, you have different totally. dynamics, you have different yeah. filters, different prices during... Relationships, different, I mean, yeah, there are HOAs all... and party walls and all that stuff, and so... Yeah, right, totally. it's just a, it makes sense, though. All right, so you have a software for real estate agents in the works. What can mm -hmm. you tell us about this project? Sure, yeah, so uh, I got really fresh... So there's a... Uh, there's a role in real estate called the transaction coordinator. Right. Um, and so uh, whether or not people are familiar with this role, um, basically if an agent will hire somebody typically as a contractor to help them make sure their files are compliant. So that's uh, you know, making sure all your disclosures are signed and mm -hmm. put in the right spot. There's a lot of box, boxes to check. A lot of boxes to Timelines check. and things that have to happen in a certain certain order. Yes. Yeah. With real estate deals. Very process, mm -hmm. which is why I think I'm, I like it because I'm a nerd and I just and go like through the process boxes. and I just yes. check boxes. So mm -hmm. um, I got really frustrated with my transaction coordinator because I was paying them. Um, for me, and it's obscene amount of money, you know, three, $400 a file um, mm -hmm. to do what I thought was a terrible job. And so uh, a partner of mine was creating an app for an entirely separate industry. And I was helping him put together the financial model so he could go out and raise capital for it. Um, I got really frustrated, um, might have had a drink to facilitate you know, mm -hmm. some of my creative juices and uh, realized that there's an incredible opportunity in the real estate workflow space to create an app that really just allows me to run my business from my iPad. Um, and so- huge. Huge. Um, and so as part of being in my teams with Keller Williams, uh, I, I'm at Keller Williams for a long time because I truly believe in their strategy in terms of where they're bringing technology yeah. to their agents. Mm -hmm. uh, and so between the infrastructure that we have at Keller Williams, being able to run my business upstream of my deals from my iPad, mm -hmm. uh, now I have a deal risk management system software where this software that we're working on, I can run that from my iPad. So now literally the two phases of my business, whether it's generating leads or servicing the business, I can run them from my iPad. That's awesome. So it gives you flexibility, totally. but it's also gonna be a solution for other agents. Absolutely, yeah. With all their compliance and all of that, which yeah. is a huge issue. Absolutely, yeah, it's so we're gonna be rolling huge, it out yeah, yeah. to other agents. Cause so. you guys just get a ton more com compliance like every year, you know, boxes you have to check and things like that. Totally, Yeah. getting paid at closing and you know, uh, oh shoot, that's right, we have that inspection objection coming up, like who, why didn't I know about that, yeah. right? Uh, oh, who's gonna draft that doc or did anyone actually approve that? Like mm -hmm. all this stuff is there and so mm -hmm. it's really cool, I mean. So most, um, 
most of the larger brokerages have lawyers in-house that review all the deals. Is that going to be part of the app or is that separate? Uh, we really view this as a tool to augment those people. Cool. So, uh, you know, your in-house compliance is probably not going to get changed. I really do think that you're, you do need to put eyes on it you and make sure that, that like, mm -hmm. oh, this is the actual file that was put in that box. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know without you know, crazy AI, like reading technology, like if you could physically remove the person from that process. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is more like, uh, how do I make sure that all my deals are on time, no fire drills, mm -hmm. you know, what's next, when does it do, mm -hmm. and it pops up so it's all in one place. So it's a super streamlined process too. It'll Absolutely. help you guys move through stuff quicker. Yeah, totally. And it'll help systematize your process. Yeah, and leverage my overhead so my assistant can go back and forth. She doesn't need to be licensed because she's just like, putting just stuff in the box. Exactly. Um, and then it also gives transparency to our clients. So you can give access to your clients so they can see their deals. Um, and so they can watch it move down the timeline. They'll know That's what's so up. Awesome. Uh, they'll know if we're behind or if stuff's coming up. And it also helps keep my agents accountable. So if clients are seeing it, now they see all these red stop signs, like, mm -hmm. Uh, what's going on, <laughs> right? Oh, shoot, let's call so-and-so. Well, and then just, and, and it helps because most of us lay, lay people mm -hmm. have a really hard time understanding how those transactions move through the system. Correct. But it also helps them see your value too, because right. you have all these check marks you have to do. Right. And most people don't see that. No. So that'd be really, really helpful too, to be like, this is our value. Like, this is what we provide. And we, that you can watch us, you know, do our value. It's funny sitting down. I've actually sat down in a listening presentation with someone who was threatening to sell it by themselves. And I said, you know, man, you're go for it, right? Mm -hmm. We're not look. We, we charge a lot of money. I'll just be upfront. We charge yeah. a lot of money because we do a great service and we provide a lot, a lot of, of value, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you don't like, if you get sick or shock, you want to do it yourself, go for it. Take out my iPad with the software on it. Say, okay, here are literally the eight stages, the five steps in each stage happening at this point in time. So if you want to do it yourself and, and you've never you done it before, deadline, you're done. Go for it. Or you can just pay me 3% and we're good to go, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, cool, right? And so it, it just makes that conversation a lot easier. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. I know. And that's a that's something that actually my husband and I talk about all the time because I was like, we're using real estate agent. Like, we have to have the people to do the thing, right? Right. And he's just like, I don't get it. And I was like, that's because you don't see it. Like, well, you don't see the backside. It's like, I think real estate is going the way of financial advisory. Yes. Where, look, you have robo-advisors, Charles Schwab, charging 10 basis points on your value, mm -hmm. and they're just going to throw you in the you know, 20, 30 target fund, and mm -hmm. we're just going to manage it with our algos and just mm -hmm. watch your account, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's a lot of really wealthy people paying JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and other local advisors 100 basis points for 1% mm -hmm. of 100, 200, 500 million dollars. Like, they're probably doing something right? Mm -hmm. That Charles Schwab is not doing right. to be able to charge someone $5 million a year and provide service and a value for that. It's just like tax and accounting. I mean, we're watching the, automa the automation Absolutely. of the low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Payroll, bookkeeping, tax. QuickBooks cost me 80 bucks a month and I can basically run it. I don't, yeah. I mean, I would love to hire you to do that, oh, yeah. but it, it, it doesn't make sense, right? Right. So, well, you have to be sure you're doing it right. But Anyway, <laughs> financial engineering background and uh, also director of finance background. So, I, I, unfortunately, uh, I mean, I'll have I to check know. my target account. <laughs> I feel like I need to look at it now. <laughs> now you probably do. Yeah, that's right. Finance guy doing accounting, we're, we're probably in trouble. So, yeah, that usually actually ends up being a problem. That, it's always like the CFOs <laughs> that are like, I know how to do bookkeeping. I don't understand. And I'm just like, 
have you seen what you've done? Yeah, I'm a CFO. I can be a CAO too, right? Like, this is mm-hmm. so easy. Um, sure. Yeah. So I think that as as we look to that future, where mm-hmm. you know we'll have we'll there'll be less agents doing what we do, and we'll just you know we'll be more just of kind better. of like a full service JP Morgan type person instead of a Schwab, and and those sense. and we can just coexist, and it's totally yeah. fine. I mean, there's HR Block, and then there's JU CPA. Like, Absolutely, there's, there's different spectrums, and I and I prefer and different users and different demographics. The latter as well. So it's great. Totally makes sense. Awesome. Okay. So before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Easiest way people to find me? Mm -hmm. Uh, 720-526-2583. That's our our main line. Uh, Oh my gosh. It gives me hard people do palpitations every time somebody gets their phone number. Oh no. Can we erase that? No, you can do that. I just would never. Oh, that's my like main. Oh, it's not your cell phone? No. Okay. Phew. No. So that, we're okay. <laughs> 720-526-2583. Yeah, you can call uh, Blue Pebble Group. Call Blue Pebble Group. Uh, we also have a website. It's uh, bluepebblegrp.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll link them. We link them all. We'll perfect. Link everything. Uh, Facebook, we have a community page called Mile High Living. So oh, if you're cool. in uh, the front range, you know, we post like, you know, 10 cool little hikes or golf things or whatever. So The free days at the zoo to avoid. Uh, well, we post the free days at the zoo, and then those you can are, decide. Those are our avoid days. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. So in your opinion, mm-hmm. what is the one thing you wish every home buyer or seller understood better about the process? <sighs> you can make it two things. Everybody's always like, things? can I have more than one thing? You can have more than one thing. Uh, number one, the person on the other side of the transaction is not out to screw you. Oh. That's a good one. It's Can I not swear? Personal. All right, I want to swear. Is this is not personal? Mm-hmm. When their agent submits an objection and it's a big number, mm-hmm. it's not because they don't like you, <laughs> and it's not because they don't like anything you did. Mm-hmm. It's just because that's what their agent this is, is telling. And it's, it's not even business. them. It's yeah. their agent. Yeah. So blame the agent, right? If you're getting a bad, if you're getting something that just doesn't seem right, mm-hmm. don't blame the person. Blame the agent because the person's just going. The person just probably going exactly. And now it might, you know, maybe the person has whatever. That's number one. And it, it, if I think if everyone just approached a transaction really like that, like if anyone would just approach a transaction, like look, these are real people, not just names and not just electronic mm-hmm. documents, and it they don't know what they're doing just as much as we don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So like, let's just try and figure this out. So homeboying is so emotional. So that's really, really good to like reframe it. Look, nobody's out to get you here. Like, but what's the emotional just, part? They're just trying to get, you know, their best deal. And the emotional part's on like the finishes. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't like the carpet or I want this or I want that or we're going to do this to the house mm-hmm. and little Johnny's going to be able to play in the backyard and it's going to be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. That's the emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. Actual of negotiating the deal if we could just put everything off, like just push all the emotion for like a month, mm-hmm. right? And just kind of get through the, actually even just two weeks. Yeah, the business part of it. Just get past inspection, mm-hmm. right? Two weeks. Um, and then I think the second part, you know, more in addition to that, uh, from my perspective is, you know, really being organized. And what I mean by that is on the sell side, like you should know what you're selling. So you should have pre-inspections. You should have, um, you, you should do work, not on your home, but with your home, mm-hmm. just knowing, is the roof? Do I need to replace the roof? Do I have issues with my sewer line? Is my furnace on its last leg? What about windows? What yeah. About the AC. What about fencing? What about you know all the things? All the things we know in our heads that need to happen. The major things. Yeah. Because those are what are going to kill a transaction. And on the buy side, like get just get pre-approved. It takes an extra two weeks. Saves you so much trouble, so much time, yeah, get so it all much effort. Do the thing. Make your offers easy, easier to accept. Just get pre-approved. I think if we did those three things, it'd be great. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. I appreciate this is awesome. I don't Yay! Know. <laughs>
I don't know. Yeah, this is, uh, this is like crazy. I don't know what to do. I got right him. Now. I got Jared. <laughs> Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast to be inspiring, helpful, and entertaining, please like and subscribe. This helps us grow the community and reach more people. If you are interested in learning more about this episode's guests or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. Until next time, be abundant.